Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? We get the opportunity to go to some bluegrass festivals and play some secular music events where it's just like everybody there is a bluegrass fan. But probably 80% of the work that we do is in worship centers all around the world. And so when we go into a worship center, if there's 2,000 people in there, the chances are there might be a hundred of those folks that like bluegrass music. A lot of them have probably never given it a chance. That's the number one thing that we hear is people just saying, man, I love that. Oh, turn your eyes upon Jesus. From Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute, this is the Level Paths Podcast. My name is Chris Weigel, and we're glad you've taken some time to join us. Several things come to mind when we think about Appalachia. Coal is arguably the most well-known export, and the mountains are unmistakable and provide vacation getaways for thousands. Appalachia boasts a simple lifestyle with strong ties to home and family. But what about Appalachian music? When you hear a fiddle and banjo together with an upright bass and guitars, it's probably bluegrass music. Bluegrass captures the story and nostalgia of the Appalachian region. On this Level Paths podcast, one of bluegrass music's most prolific groups. Since 2009, Chosen Road has honed their craft and made a name for themselves on billboard charts, performing worldwide and in churches across America. Their interpretation of hymns is a keystone in their strong faith and commitment to Jesus Christ and the gospel. Jonathan Buckner is the founder of Chosen Road, and he's the guest on Level Paths. Here's Rex Howell. Welcome to the Level Paths podcast. My name is Rex Howe. I serve as the president of Tri-State Bible College. I'm here with my brother, Dr. Matt Shamblin, our Appalachian Research Fellow. Matt, how are you today? Hey, Rex, I'm doing well. It's good to be back this new year with our first podcast. Is this our second season? This is our third season. That should count for something somewhere. That should. Yeah. Third time's a charm too. So if we've messed up in the past two years, this will be a good time to make up for that. I think we're close to 25 episodes so far. So we've made some good progress. We're kicking off our new year with the news of our second annual Appalachian Ministry Conference, Fulfilling Your Ministry with Hope in the Darkness of Appalachia. We're excited today. We have someone who's going to be with us at the Appalachian Ministry Conference on April 25th as our guest today. We're going to be talking about music in Appalachia with our special guest that Matt will introduce in just a second. This is classic music in Appalachia. I have a good friend. He was a student at Tri-State Bible College. He just built from scratch with his own two hands a banjo, and he just put out a video of him playing it two days ago. It's absolutely awesome. And so I followed his process step by step. We talked about handmade Christmas gifts in our last episode. We've got ingenuity in Appalachia, and we love our music, don't we? Yeah, you know, Ted Olson, an Appalachian scholar, said that Appalachian music is our most effective cultural ambassador, that it is the region's chief cultural export. And so when we think about Appalachia, you cannot remove Appalachian culture and Appa- from Appalachian music. They're intricately intertwined. And so today we have Jonathan Buckner. He is the founder of Chosen Road. They do something unique, really, 
It's a subgenre of Appalachian music, and that's Appalachian worship. Jonathan, welcome to the podcast today. Hey, thanks, guys. Glad to be here. So tell us a little bit about your story, Jonathan, and about the founding of Chosen Road. Tell us what it is that you guys are doing, how you accomplish that. I'm born and raised in Appalachia down in Southern West Virginia, um, grew up in Princeton, West Virginia. And then a few years ago, I moved across the county to Bluefield and had some folks that disowned me after that move um, because I did play football for Princeton. And of course, Bluefield's their biggest rival, but born and raised here, grew up in a little Appalachian church that my grandfather started in a coal mining community many, many years ago. He passed before I was ever around. And the only time I've ever got to hear him preach is on a cassette tape that we still have. That That's the only, only time I've ever heard him preach is that one sermon on a cassette tape. But born and raised for a long, long time, I just thought that the way that church was done was the way that church was done in the church that I was raised in, that my granddad started was always around music. It was a very musical church. My dad and my uncles, um, they would travel and sing in a gospel quartet. And so I was raised around a lot of Southern gospel music quartet singing. And that's really when I first started learning to play, um, probably about 10, 11 years old, started playing guitar, started playing bass in my home church. When I was a teenager, though, I fell in love with bluegrass music. My dad thought that I'd just fallen off the potato wagon. He thought, man, my son's backslid so far, he'll never make it back. But I fell in love with bluegrass. In high school, I started a bluegrass gospel band, and we would travel really just throughout Appalachia, Kentucky, West Virginia, Tennessee, North Carolina, and did that. My last two years of high school in college, I got my first real job playing music professionally, and I went to Concord University, and I was doing a business degree there because my mom and dad were both educators, and I had no choice but to go to school. And so I thought, well, I'll go and get a business degree. Then I can figure out what to do with my music from that. And I worked while I was in college for a Southern gospel group, traveled full-time with them and did college on the road and uh, made it to the classes that I could. And then my junior year of college was when we started Chosen Road. It was just a burden that God really put on my heart just to try to take the music that I loved and that I had grown up playing and use it to try to share the gospel. And when we started, this is our 14th year. So when we started back in 2009, um, I never, ever imagined that I would be able to do it, that it would be a career one day. We've got a team right now, Chosen Road employees, probably, I think, eight people full time and never would have dreamed that it would have grown into what it's grown into. But God is just blessed. And we've been able to use Appalachian music to evangelize and share the gospel of Jesus Christ all around the world. We've been to France, we've been to Scotland, Ireland, I'll be in California in a couple of weeks. There's all kinds of stories within that story, but that's how we got started. It's funny to hear you say Concord University. I went there so long ago that it was called Concord College then. And one of the distinguishing factors of Concord's campus is their Bell Carillion. And the bell carillion is a is a dyed in the wool real carillion. It's played almost like a pipe organ, and as there's these massive bells on the top of right in the middle of campus. And I remember having an English class right under the bell carillion, and they were tuning it up during the English class. And uh, it's not been that long ago. Now they're restoring the bell carillion, so I'm old enough to know that it was there when it was installed, and now they're restoring it because it's it's been there that long. Uh, but that's they have a beautiful campus there. There in the big metropolis of Athens, West Virginia, there is nothing in Athens, West Virginia, 
I think it does have a stoplight, which is an upgrade in it from what it was when I was there. Yeah, not it might have been a college when you were there, a university when I was there, but I promise you nothing changed. There you go. It was a great time. And, you know, that was in my own life. It was a time of transition. God calling me into ministry and moved me on. So when we think about Appalachian music, you've you've used that phrase a couple few times. What is it that distinguishes Appalachian music from bluegrass music, the music, folk music? I think that there could be a lot of a lot of answers to that question, and depending on who you were asking and the crowd you were standing in front of, the answer could be right or wrong. But really, it's music that was brought here primarily, I think, from Scotland, from Ireland, and even from Africa in large part. I think that Appalachian music, that's the three places that we got it from, and really a big Scots-Irish influence. And I heard someone say a couple of years ago, guy that's much smarter than me, Professor, said that he truly believes that Appalachian music um, or Scots-Irish music has influenced more genres of American music than anything else. Um, You can pretty much trace almost every truly American genre of music back to the Appalachian Mountains, their Scots-Irish ancestors, any type of music that has ties back to Scotland, back to Ireland, and even Africa. Yeah. It's so interesting because when I went to Concord, I was a music major, and we often heard that the only truly American art form is jazz music. I would agree with you. I think that jazz music may be an American art form, but so too is Appalachian music because it's not fully folk music. It's not fully that Scots-Irish music. It really is a convergence of a diverse musical genre that you could that you miss. We were talking about a banjo earlier. And it's hard to believe that the banjo came from Africa, of all places. Often Appalachia is uh, kind of pinned with the moniker of not being very diverse. And when, in fact, when you dig into it a little bit deeper, you find it's really, really diverse. So, Jonathan, how has Chosen Road been received as you guys are doing truly Appalachian music, Appalachian worship? How have you guys been received? So, and back to the the jazz being the only true American genre of music. I think that's totally wrong because bluegrass music, which would be really the foundation of where our our music as Chosen Road is created from, was birthed right here in America. I mean, it it came from Kentucky, uh, was put on the stage for the first time on the Grand Ole Opry in 1945, I think, by Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys. And that's really the foundation of everything that we do is going back to bluegrass music. A lot of fiddle, a lot of banjo, mandolin. We have never been anywhere in all of our travels. And we've been doing it, like I said, going into our 14th year. I've never heard anyone come up and say to us, that was just awful. I don't like it. The thing that we hear week in and week out is I never knew that I liked bluegrass music. I didn't know that I liked the banjo, but I love it. And so I think that really it just has a lot to do with the way that it's presented. And we've really worked hard to make our music appealing to people that come from a diverse background as far as what might be on their iPhone or what they might listen to on Spotify. We do play as Chosen Road. We get the opportunity to go to some bluegrass festivals and play some secular music events where it's just like everybody there is a bluegrass fan. But probably 80% of the work that we do is in worship centers all around the world. And so when we go into a worship center, if there's 2,000 people in there, the chances are there might be 100 of those folks that like bluegrass music. A lot of them have probably never given it a chance. That's the number one thing that we hear is people just saying, man, I love that. And I think a lot of it has to do, I've said this for years, 
I think that even a lot of younger generations, we like organic food. We want stuff that's authentic and real vintage. And so whenever they see what we're doing on stage, that's the way they connect with it. I was, oh man, that's really organic. It's authentic. It's vintage. It's cool. And a lot of them are seeing it for the very first time. And so it just, it's fresh to them as well. The other thing too, is it's ancient. That is the other thing that I think connects with people because I, I was actually over in Scotland for uh, my PhD symposium last year, staying in the home of my supervisor, who's he and his wife are originally from Sweden, but she's good friends with a music professor at the university. And she and I were talking about music in Appalachia. And I was describing my great grandfather who was traveling pastor who did lined out singing. And she said, well, what is that? And so I started to describe it. And she said, you need to talk to my friend, the music professor, because she studied this in the highlands of Scotland. Mm. And so lo and behold, I start digging into that and find uh, Dr. Willie Ruff from Yale, who's done this major documentary on lined out singing. And this is an ancient thing. It is. And that's exactly where so much of that comes from is the Highlands of Scotland. Um, What was really cool, we got to go and play in Scotland. I think it was 2017 or 18. And we were walking around on the streets and everywhere we played, people just connected with that music because it was brought over here by our ancestors. And so even when you get to like what we call fiddle tunes in bluegrass Mm -hmm. music here, they're really songs that were played on bagpipes and fiddles and whatever over there. And so we would even just, when we were in Edinburgh and I remember we were walking on the street and we heard there was a person on the street playing the banjo, playing the bagpipes together. And we stopped and we were listening. And so we started talking to them and we were like, oh, well, this is such and such tune. And we said the name of it that we knew they had a different name, but it was still what we had was a derivative of what they had over there. Mm -hmm. And so it's really cool to see the way all those pieces connect. Yeah. You were talking about a mandolin and Bill Monroe. So my church is just off of the country music highway. That's Route 23 Mm -hmm. right here in Kentucky. One of my staff members, his father-in-law was having breakfast at a local restaurant. And a guy came in, they were talking, the guy's car broke down and he needed a ride. So he got in the car and they got in the truck and drove him down the road. When he got home, he noticed that that guy had left his case in the back of the truck. And so the guy that he had given a ride to was Bill Monroe, and that case was Bill Monroe's mandolin. And I thought that was pretty funny because uh, they brought that thing out at the Grand Ole Opry and brought it out with white gloves. And I'm thinking that thing was in the back of Clifford Brickey's pickup truck bouncing around in, in Boyd County, Kentucky, not all that long ago. That's a pretty amazing story. That one has me speechless. I believe his mandolin is in the Smithsonian. And can you imagine how many people would have never taken Bill Monroe's mandolin back to Bill Monroe? Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign yeah, I have a friend who went to West Virginia University and studied a little bit, very, very little bluegrass music. And he, he told me, he said, Matt, it is so complicated when it's written out. It's just so complicated. And, you know, a lot of this bluegrass music goes from one family member to another, to another, to another. And it's taught almost at birth. How yeah. did you get started in this? I started, like I said, my home church playing gospel music, hymns, and and old church songs. 
then fell in love with with bluegrass music. I honestly, I'd heard it before, but I never really paid attention to it. And I'll tell you the night I still remember the night that I I say I got bit by the bluegrass bug. Like I said, my mom and dad were huge Southern gospel fans. They would always watch Bill Gaither and his homecoming television specials. Well, years ago, he did a bluegrass homecoming. And that came on television that night. And of course, my mom and dad were watching TV and I was a teenager. I don't know what I was doing, but I happened to pass by and it just caught my ear and it was different. And I'd always been drawn to like acoustic music and stuff. And so that's what really got me was Bill Gaither's Bluegrass Homecoming. So then I started searching stuff out and I started finding local musicians here in Southern West Virginia. And I started figuring out where they would jam at. And what was really cool was when I was still growing up, back then there were still these little bluegrass music halls all throughout Southern West Virginia. I mean, here in my home county at one time, we had three different bluegrass music venues where on Friday and Saturday night, they would be packed out with people, with bands just jamming and people would get on stage for open mics. And that's where we could go and we could sit and learn from the old timers. The sad thing to me is today, a young kid that wants to play and, and play bluegrass music, none of those places exist anymore. And so, like you said, so much of it was passed down from generation to generation. That's how I learned. Even though nobody in my family played bluegrass music, played guitar, or banjo, or mandolin, I was able to find people in my community that could pass it down to me. So that was a blessing. Now, though, kids just go to YouTube and somebody passes it down to them on YouTube. And so that's the number one thing when I have kids that come up and they want to know how they can learn to play the banjo or the mandolin, how to get started. We always just say, just go to YouTube. There's a trove of resources. And honestly, there's more available there than what was available to me when I was growing up learning how to play. I might have been a better musician if I'd have had all that at my hands. But at the same time, there was just something about learning it from in person from an old timer that had played it his whole life. You know, when we think about Appalachia, Appalachia at one time was supposed to have been the most evangelized place on the planet. I've been told that by some folks who've been studying Appalachian culture longer than we've been alive. But when you look at Appalachia now, you have a lot of people who would identify themselves to be Christian, but have no knowledge of Christ, biblical knowledge of Christ. They don't attend church. They're not engaged. As you travel across Appalachia and really have become this ambassador for Appalachia and Appalachian music, what do you see as positive of Appalachian culture as it relates to the church? And what do you see as some places of concern, more importantly, as it relates to Christ? I would say Appalachian people are a resilient people. And so I think that um, your local church family, they're going to watch out for you. They're going to have your back. They're going to stand up for you. And so I think that's a positive. I think on the flip side of that, the biggest negative is we can be a very stubborn people. And sometimes we don't want to accept help when help is needed. And we can be very leery of outsiders. And I think that has hurt the church in Appalachia and here in my home county a lot. That takes its ties right back to a lot of the the coal camps. My grandfather was a coal miner. I remember hearing the story in that coal camp. There was a young meat cutter in the local grocery store who went on to become the longest serving senator in the United States history, Bob Bird. But years before, he was that meat cutter in that local grocery store. So a lot of folks really experienced extreme hardship at the hands of those outside authorities and that mm-hmm. outside of that outside influence. And so it's really become a part of the DNA of Appalachian culture to be. Uh, kind of closed off, if you would, to that. So now tell me, how is it that you guys kind of became more mainstream? I remember seeing not that long ago, 
uh, Mark Clifton, who is with the North American Mission Board, and he heads up the rural strategy for the Southern Baptist North American Mission Board. He's actually the first guy that I uh, heard anything about uh, with Chosen Road. And then it, it was a pleasant surprise to find out that you're a fellow West Virginian. So how is it that you all kind of got uh, on a little bigger stage? My answer is always just the providence of God. I get calls a lot. Who would have ever thought that a bunch of boys from Southern West Virginia, we literally came out of a holler. That's I learned the church that I grew up playing music in is in a holler. Never would have dreamed that one day that our latest album, it debuted at number one on Billboard Magazine's top bluegrass albums chart, um, which is a secular music chart. And so that was really awesome that that happened. And just some of the success that we've seen, I get asked a lot, how did we do it? And I'll even have young artists that'll reach out and they'll want counsel on, you know, what made they might be doing right, what they might be doing wrong. One of the things that's always connected me so well with Mark, I love when he says you have to want what Jesus wants. Um, you have to want what Jesus wants for your church, for your life, personally. And so with Chosen Road, we never started off saying we want to accomplish this goal and this goal and this goal. We've always had one prayer as a band, and that is God put us on whatever stage you want us to be on. And I know that sounds really simple, but that's just the way that we've done things. And through the years, we have watched God bring people into our life. And I can go back and tell you every one of them where God has brought someone into our life that has opened up a door for us to reach more people in the name of Christ than we had before. And Mark Clifton was one of those people. He played a big role in helping us get in front of a lot of churches all across North America. We've worked with NAM now closely for probably five or six years in trying to encourage pastors that are replanting and revitalizing churches all across North America. And Mark, I met him at a bluegrass festival. We were at the International Bluegrass Music Awards and Convention. There was this guy that I had no idea who Mark Clifton was, but I kept seeing this guy at every show that we did down there. There was this guy that had an international harvester hat on. And I thought, man, this old farmer must really like bluegrass gospel music. He was at everything that we did. And he finally, he came up one night after one of the, the performances and he was like, hey, I think we've got some mutual friends. And so we started talking and he told me, who he was. And of course, I was familiar with Nam at that point in time. That was early on in their church revitalization and replant stuff. And so I wasn't familiar with that, but he wanted to know if they could use our music to help encourage pastors and if we would want to partner with them. And of course, we said we would love to, because um, even at that point, that would have probably been in 2017, maybe even at that point, there were churches that we sang in when we started out that their doors were closed. And so that was something that, that hit home for us. And I've always said, we've always really tried to help churches here in our local community and just the people here in general, because they were here for us. They're the ones that encouraged us to keep going. And they, some of these little churches, they're the ones that gave us a platform to stand on 14 years ago when we started out. And so we've mm -hmm. tried to love on them and encourage them. And that even included at our home church, we had a, a church revitalize and replant conference where we had Mark come in. We did that back in 2021. Yeah, I think you guys even had a uh, international harvester tractor parked out front for that conference, didn't you? We did. Yeah, that has been, you know, that's happened a few times and that's always really cool. The one thing, Jim Drake, Jim, if you listen to this, you did not get the tractor inside the church. I think he was afraid that he wouldn't have a church to go back to, but we have been in churches where they actually pull those things up into the sanctuary. Yeah. I would have to side with Jim on this one. I think it'd probably be a real bad idea to bring the tractor inside. <laughs> if I remember, I think I saw the pictures and it was a restored international harvester. It was beautiful. It was red, old school tractor parked outside. 
It was uh, a good friend of mine owns that tractor. And whenever we did the music video for International Harvester, that was the tractor that we also used in the music video for it. So you mentioned Jason Spade, who's the pastor, who's now the pastor of First Baptist Church, Princeton, West Virginia, which is right in the Grand Triangle of Athens and Princeton and Bluefield. You know, I say Grand Triangle. They call something like that a Golden Triangle with Louisville, Frankfurt and Lexington here in Kentucky. It's a far smaller triangle there in West Virginia. But anyway, I was going to preach at a church where Jason was the interim pastor, and this was just outside of West Virginia and Ohio. And I stopped at a little gas station on a Sunday morning and I kid you not, this is a true story, not a bit preacher exaggerated. I got stuck behind a tractor parade that they were having on a Sunday morning <laughs> and was late to the church because of the tractor parade. Because, you know, tractors are not race cars. They're pretty slow. And so it took me a little bit to get there. You know, Jonathan, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, I looked at your about page. This is just chosenroadmusic.com. One of the things I appreciated so much when I first read it is where it says, even with the successes they've enjoyed, what has not changed is their original commitment to keep the focus on Christ and Christ alone. And immediately, my heart was one. I was like, we have to get these guys for the conference if we can. So what I'd like to ask related to that commitment is, you know, in Appalachia, you mentioned our resilience and our stubbornness and another pair of things that exists here is hopelessness and hope. You know, that's why Matt and I here with the Level Paths, we're trying to encourage, equip, and affirm people who are in ministry in the Appalachian region. And so as you think about music and the hope of Christ for Appalachia and sometimes the hopelessness that exists here for a variety of reasons, what would you say to some of our local church people who are in music ministry? Now, these probably aren't vocational people. They're volunteers. They're working at the plant, and then they, they come over for music practice at eight at night. What would you say to encourage people in the hopelessness with hope that we find in Christ through music? What can seem so little and insignificant as far as what we have to work with? It's amazing how much God can do with that if we are just willing to serve him and just abandon everything else and just want what Jesus wants. And I think that Chosen Road is a testimony of that. I know my own mom and dad, whenever I told them when I was finishing up with college and I remember being asked, you know, what is it that you want to do with the rest of your life? And I thought, well, I want to do music. And I remember them trying to talk me into doing something else and um, they're just watching out for me. And then I remember one night, my dad and I sitting down and just praying that, you know, God would just make a way for me able to do what it was that my heart desired and, and serve him with music. And I remember promising God that we would always make it about Christ and, and share the hope of the gospel with people through music and that's something that that has never changed. And through the years, Chosen Road has been, we've been offered some different recording deals and different and had people just say, hey, do a secular album, do this and that. And I don't have anything against that, but it's just not what we've been called to do. And so I would just say, take whatever it is that you have and serve Jesus with all you got. I think that it really is that simple. I do talk to a lot of worship pastors, people that are involved in music ministry within their local church. And usually the thing that I hear is, you know, we just don't have anybody. We don't have anything to work with. And so the big question that I get asked a lot is, what should we do? I mean, we don't have a piano player. So should we think about paying a piano player? And I always encourage people just to not overcomplicate things. I always say, I think one of the most beautiful forms of music in terms of how it relates to our worship when the corporate church comes together is just to get people to sing. 
and it goes back mm-hmm. to we were mentioned lining out music just a minute ago. The advice that I give a lot of worship pastors is don't try to pull off something that you just can't pull off. We have to realize our boundaries and what we can do, what we can't do. Take what you can do and do it as best you can. And one thing that every worship pastor can do is encourage his congregation to sing and to sing out loud. Mm-hmm. And so that's the thing that I tell guys is just focus on congregational singing. If you don't have a hot worship team, if you don't have a great guitar player, great piano player, just stand up and encourage your people to sing with everything that they have and sing songs that are easy to sing that people are somewhat familiar with. We really started four or five years ago, started trying to encourage that even in our concerts and even to the point to where we'll be out at a bluegrass festival at a secular event and they'll have us in to do gospel music and we'll take a whole 15 to 20 minutes of our program and we'll just be like hey you all remember the songs you grew up in church singing and we'll get the entire festival to sing with us most of them know the songs and then it's amazing to hear folks come up and just say that felt so good i hadn't done that since i was a kid my encouragement to those guys would just be just strip it down and just use what god's given all of us and that's a voice well, Jonathan, it's been great getting to talk to you today and learning about you, learning about Chosen Road. One of the first questions that I asked you when I found out you were from Bluefield was, where do you go to church? And when you told me you went to uh, Parkview Baptist, I was grateful to hear that. My friend Jim Drake is the pastor there. It's always wonderful to have folks who are leading in worship and traveling and leading in worship go to church when they're not at home, because uh, there's a lot of folks who make a lot of money off of church, but don't go to church. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for your testimony and the way the Lord's worked in you and, and your faithfulness to your local church. We look forward to having you at the Appalachian Ministry Conference on April 25th. We're going to have a great day, and we want to encourage folks to come out and be a part of that conference to help be better equipped to reach Appalachia with the gospel and to fellowship and encourage and be encouraged. Ministry in Appalachia can be difficult. The churches in Appalachia are significantly smaller than they are even across the nation, in rural areas across the nation even. Appalachia is a place in desperate need of the gospel. It may have been a place at one time to have been evangelized with the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it's in desperate need of re-evangelization, that's for sure. Jonathan, where can folks find you? They want to check out Chosen Road. They want to check out your music. Where can they find you? So the best place is chosenroadmusic.com, and that's a good launch pad from there. You can find us on all the social media platforms and connect with us, say hello, and come out and see us sometime, especially at the Appalachian Ministry Conference. That'd be a great place to come see us. Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Will you pray with all your power while we try to preach the word? All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. Brethren, pray in holy manner, we'll be showered all around. We want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast and share it as well. If there is someone you know in ministry who could make use of the content of Level Paths, definitely pass it along. Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute exist as a resource. And no matter what need you may have, Rex Howe and Dr. Matt Shamblin want you to reach out to them today. Rex Howe is the president of Tri-State Bible College, 
and you can contact him by email at rex.howe at tsbc.edu. And you can reach out to Dr. Matt Shamblin at the Appalachian Ministry Institute by email matt.shamblin at tsbc.edu. The Level Paths Podcast is an outreach of Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute. Hey.